You've tuned in to TV You Grew Up With, where we interview the people who created the greatest TV shows ever made. Here's your host, Jim Harrell. Welcome to TV You Grew Up With. I am Jim Harold, and so glad to be with you today and absolutely an honor to have the guest we're going to speak with this week. Someone who is very, very accomplished, uh, known around the world, of course, for her role as Sue Ellen on the iconic television series, Dallas. And uh, of course, that is a big part of her history, but there's a lot more to it and a lot of things she continues to do today, including a new book. Her new book is called The Road to Happiness is Always Under Construction. Linda, of course, is an award-winning actress, an accomplished director, a former United Nations ambassador, and one of the world's most recognized and admired stars. Her portrayal of Sue Ellen Ewing in the TV series Dallas brought her international fame and critical acclaim. The role also earned her an Emmy nomination for Best Actress, numerous international awards, and she was voted Woman of the Year by the Hollywood Radio and Television Society. After 11 years as the number one show on television, Dallas recently returned on TNT a few years back and proved again to be the number one drama on cable TV. Now, she's appeared in many, many TV projects in the successful series Melrose Place, as well as starring in theater productions on Broadway and London's West End. Linda Gray, welcome to the program today. Lovely. Thank you so much. What a lovely introduction. I thought, wow, I've done a lot. (laughs) You you certainly have. You certainly have. You know... it's interesting when somebody has a long and storied career like you, and then they write a memoir. Um, I've got to believe that it brings back maybe some things that you had forgotten about, or maybe some things from the early days that you kind of put to the back of your mind and kind of going through this, maybe brought it more to the fore. Did, did you find that to be the case? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And at the end of the book, which, you know, I'm not, I'm not a writer. I've never written before. Um, but I, and I was very uh, uncertain about the process. I thought, I don't know how to do this. What am I doing? Where, what I'm venturing into a territory unknown. Um, but then part of it was that I was excited about. It. I thought, okay, I've never shirked anything. <laughs> so I thought, okay, let's give it a whirl. And um, when I started writing, mm-hmm. uh, things just popped in. Things kept coming in. Um, it was kind of like the, I was receiving a download, uh, and it was quite extraordinary because I, I even saw wallpaper that I had in my room wow. as a child. It was bizarre. And I thought, wow, okay, let's keep going, see what else I can find. It was very an interesting process. Another thing that I think when people look back and people of accomplishment look back, during life, I'm assuming for most people there are disappointments. But sometimes I believe we're put in certain situations in certain places so we can accomplish something greater in the future. Did you find that to be the case when you look back um, was it a situation where you said, boy, at the time I was upset about X, but that really worked to my benefit down the road? Oh, absolutely. I, I think that all of those, that's why the title of the book is so uh, special, because it's when it says the, the road to happiness is always under construction. Uh, it, for me, well, when you look around, everybody's life is under construction. If you look at it that way, it's, um, uh, yeah, I think so many people say, oh, well, uh, you know, my life is, uh, you know, it's, it's sad, and I've done the wrong things, blah, blah, blah. But I think all those 
that connect the dots, all those little uh, speed bumps and potholes and detours that we've taken or have been sort of put upon us, etc. Uh, those turn out to be the lessons that we learn the most from. I mean, in your case, and maybe you can speak to this a little bit, you didn't necessarily have an easy road growing up, and even to adulthood, there were some significant obstacles that were put in your way. Sure, but I feel that that those are the things that uh, that, that gave me the biggest growth. Those were the big growth spurts, as they call it. The, uh, it was like, okay, uh, you know, nothing, nobody was hurt in this thing. Maybe emotionally, maybe this or that, but in the in the end result of all of these things. Um, you know, it, it proves you're a survivor, you made it through, you learn the lessons. If you pay attention, instead of going into the, you know, the deep rabbit hole, you, you come out and you say, okay, what did I learn from this? Um, did I learn? Um, am I going to have to repeat this lesson because I didn't get it properly or I didn't learn enough from it? Um, all these things just add up <clears throat> to the life that we, we call our life. That's the way it was. And you know, when I turned, last Saturday, I turned 75, which shocked me. And I said, never Google yourself because you'll find out how old you are. <laughs> and it's like, I was shocked, you know. I mean, I knew, but obviously, but it never dawned on me. And I thought, well, this has been an interesting life. And the, the book was almost like there was a closure, a completeness, not that I'm complete, I don't mean that it's finished, but it, there was um, a lovely acceptance of, yes, I've had speed bumps in my life, I've had major potholes, uh, people have died, uh, cancer, uh, divorce, babies, uh, all kinds of things that m- most people have in their lives. And I, I, think, I look back and I think, wow, those were the things that helped me to grow. Those were the things. They weren't pretty. They weren't happy all the time, but those were the life lessons that I learned how to deal with. And I shared a lot of those things in the book that um, I've heard already from people who have read the book that it was very inspirational for them, which is a compliment to me. I didn't mean it to be any, anything other than sharing, but if it helped somebody, that was um, a gift. Now, um, I mean, you dealt with things like polio as a child. Your mother had alcohol issues. You had a very, it sounds like you had a tough marriage early on. Any one of those things may have sunk someone else. But I always believe in the saying, it's it's not what happens to you. It's how you react what happens to you and, and how it changes to you. Uh, how, oh, how, 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 how you you say, okay, this is the hand I'm dealt. How am I going to play it? Exactly. Totally correct. And I remember when I had polio, my grandfather had polio. And from the moment I was born, all I knew was that he rode around in a wheelchair. So when I was diagnosed at five, five years old, um, everybody in the family, everybody, grandparents, et cetera, they were just devastated. And I didn't understand that. I thought, I get to ride around with grandpa in my own wheelchair. I think this is so cool. So I didn't, I mean, I don't know whether I was born that way. I have no idea. But I took it as a very, not a negative. It was just like, oh, well, that's what it is. So let's get on with it. Let's go pick out my wheelchair. It was one of those (laughs) things. I didn't, you know, and everybody was crying and upset and everything. I thought, what's the matter with them? You know, it just, um, 
grandpa's fine. Grandpa's a grown man. He he lived a wonderful life, and he still was living a wonderful life. So I thought, what's the big deal? Now, <laughs> that's who I was. Well, uh, <laughs> and no, I thought, where that, did that come from? <laughs> that's a great. That's a that's a great attitude to have. Now, getting into acting, it sounds like maybe you got into acting a little later than a lot of people would have normally. Tell us the circumstances of your life around that time. What made you say, "I want to be an actress," and how did you get that path started? Well, I, you know, as some people like, I've got different one an architect, uh, you know, one one a gifted painter, but. Um, they knew early on that what they wanted to do. And I felt early on, I knew what I wanted to do, but uh, it wasn't uh, fashionable, I suppose. Uh, I, I was raised very strict Catholic and that was not on the to-do list of what, what, what you should, what a young woman should be. Um, so I, uh, I started modeling and doing commercials. I thought, I'm going to sneak in the back door over here, mm-hmm. and they'll never see it coming. <laughs> and so I decided, I, I was modeling and um, having a wonderful time and um, doing, doing commercials. So that they thought that was okay. And then I got married, and my husband thought, wow, this is, this is good. She's doing commercials, she's making money, and all is well in the world. And then... Um, I knew I still had my dream, and um, so I, I came to my husband, and I said, you know, I want to take an uh, acting workshop, and he said, oh, no, no, you, you wait until the children are in college. Oh, my. Yeah, and that was a thud. That was a major life thud, I call it, and <clears throat> I thought, well, how, how is this going to happen? I thought, we lived, we moved, and uh, came out to a ranch. Uh, we built a home in the country, and we got horses because that was his dream. He wanted to have horses and chickens and a farm and, you know, a little little house on the prairie. So we did that, and the children loved it. They had animals. They had places to roam and play, and uh, it was a lovely, lovely life. But I thought, well, what about my dream? Right. Uh, what if, do I have a, do I get to um, have my dream? So what happened was, you know, when he told me that I would have to wait until the children were in college, I, I just freaked out because I felt, I felt trapped. I felt frozen. And I thought I, I wasn't respected. I, I didn't have a dream in, in his mind. It was like, so I don't have that dream. You have yours, but I can't have mine. So the next day, um, I enrolled in acting class. Good for you. <laughs> yeah, I know, but that was that. That was unlike me to be that kind of feisty and rebellious. You know, I was kind of still. But that was reserved. the pivotal point in my mind. If you hadn't made that decision, Absolutely. if you had backed down, no Sue Ellen for you. That's right. So, and you know, I had no idea that Sue Ellen would come along. <laughs> I had no idea. Um, so, but I just knew that I. I thought, well, why can't I have my dream? And so when I did uh, take, <laughs> take that giant step, go to class, uh, everybody was much younger than I was. And um, I was going home and paying the babysitter and they were going off to be a waiter or whatever their job was. And, um, and then uh, I got, uh, in 1977, I worked with Norman Lear mm-hmm. uh, on all the glitters. And right directly after that, I got Dallas. And it was only five episodes, but we had to go to Dallas to shoot it, which was 
devastating for me and my and my husband. It was like, see, I told you, you should have stayed home and looked after the children. So it was kind of the worst case scenario. I felt guilty. He was like, okay, look, look what you've done, you know, torn the family apart or whatever. It was horrendous because it was mainly me because I felt guilty. But I went anyway <laughs> and um, did the best I could. And the rest was history. Now, I've got to ask you, you know, that had to be somewhat intimidating. I'm thinking about the beginning cast of Dallas as it launched uh, Jim Davis, Barbara Bel Geddes, uh, Larry Hagman, who, of course, his mother was Mary Martin. He had I Dream of Jeannie. He had been movies like, I think, Failsafe, if I remember correctly. Uh, Patrick Duffy had even had, I believe, before Dallas, The Man from Atlantis had had a TV series. Correct. So you're yeah. walking in kind of a newbie, uh, relatively speaking, what was that like for you? Um, well, you know, I, I didn't think of it. Actually, I knew of Barbara Bel and I thought, if Barbara Bel is doing a series, this must be very classy, because I knew her from Broadway and sure. working with Tennessee Williams and all of that, and I thought, ooh, this is a classy lady. And then I thought, here I'm standing next to Major Nelson from, <laughs> from My Dream of Jeannie, and the man from Atlanta. So I was a bit confused. I thought, is this a sitcom? What is this? What is this Dallas right. show? What, is, what am I doing here? And I didn't have any dialogue. They didn't have the dialogue for me. So um, of any relevance, you know, I think I had a few co- you know, coffee, JR lines, but nothing of any importance. So um, when, when I was cast in the role, um, I was not supposed to be in that role because Mary Fran, they wanted Mary Fran. Oh, from Newhart. I did not know uh-huh. that. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. Great stories. Um, yes. And Mary Fran and I were friends and I knew, I knew that she was their first choice because Victoria was a, a brunette and they wanted a blonde. Yeah. Victoria. Prince and Moore. then Ruth Comforte, I just adore her. She uh, is the casting director that was working on all the glitters, the Norman Lear show. And then she was she was asked to cast the minor players on Dallas. And she said to them, do you know Linda Gray? And of course, nobody knew me. And they said, who? And she said, please see her. They said, no, 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 we, all, we, we like Mary Fran. Please see her. So at fri- on a Friday at 5 o'clock, I'll never forget it, death in Hollywood. You don't have the meetings at 5 o'clock on Friday night. <laughs> Everyone wants to go home and they're, they've had a long week, et cetera. So, so they finally, she bombarded them with, she pounded them, I think. And, and so I, I walked in at five o'clock Friday and, uh, they had, uh, created, they had written a, um, a, 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 um, audition scene because Swellen didn't have any dialogue to, you know, get my teeth into. So they wrote a scene and, um, I came in, I read it with the producers and, um, and I left, but I knew I knew when I walked out that I had gotten that job. Intuitive. I don't know what it was. I have no idea. And I thought, I got this job. What is this? What is this thing I just read for? And I knew they really didn't want me anyway. So I just sort of, you know, let, let it go. But I knew there was this intuitive thing. And I thought, wow, okay, what, let it happen, whatever happens. <clears throat> so whatever happened did happen. And, uh, they called me and they said, yes, you have the job. So I thought, great. And it was supposed to shoot in Burbank. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my husband, who worked at Warner Brothers, he said, great, we can carpool and we'll have a great time. And I thought, oh, thank God, this is going to make 
make, make me happy and he won't be so upset. <laughs> and then the next call was, oh, we changed our mind. You're going to shoot in Dallas, Texas. Wow. <laughs> so I, oh, thud, another thud. I'm like, oh, no. So anyway, off I went to Dallas with the guilt, guilt feelings, of course. And, you know, I made casseroles and, and made sure that everybody had food and, you know, uh, people to drive them, the, my kids to piano lessons, whatever. I just, I tried to do it all. I turned into Martha Stewart before any of that. <laughs> so it was quite a journey. And when I got there, I was just exhausted. I thought, oh, what have I done? My worst case scenario has happened. Anyway, so I, I did it. Um, and that's history. That's now, history. Now, um, here, here's a question. It, it, it yeah. strikes me that it had to be something that they saw in you once they saw you on the screen portraying Sue Ellen in those limited kind of interactions you described. Something they saw in you, something they saw in the character that said, hey, we need to beef this up and we need to beef it up fast. What do you think you did? What do you think Sue Ellen did to kind of elbow her way into uh, being one of the prime players on Dallas? Um, well, it wasn't anything I did. Um, I re I do remember clearly uh, sitting on the couch and there was the, the camera was shooting the whole family and they did a close up of all of us. And I remember looking at Larry during my close up, but I didn't have anything to say. I remember looking at Mr. Hagman and I thought, what, who in the world would marry this guy? <laughs> and I just, either because I didn't have any dialogues, so I had to do it with my eyes. And I thought, who would marry you? And, and then uh, I, it dawned on me, it would be me. It would be Sue Ellen Ewing. And I thought, okay, let's find out about Sue Ellen Ewing. And I started the process of finding out internally and externally who she was, where she was going. And I didn't have much dialogue, so I could hang out, I suppose, good word, hang out with the women in Dallas. And I would go to Neiman Marcus and I'd walk around, I'd see the clothes they wore, the bags they carried, the shoes that they wore. I would, I would go to the beauty salon and get my nails done and my hair done. And I would listen to their conversations and um, you know, listen to what they said and, and what they ate and where where the chic places were to have to go have a lunch, restaurants, mm -hmm. etc. So I sort of um, bathed myself in the swellingness um, of Dallas. And that's how I got her, um, part of it. And then I remember Larry and I had a great scene, and he said something that was not written. He said, um, this, this button fell off my shirt, and, and I want you to put it sewed on. And I, I just remember looking at him saying, I don't sew buttons on shirts. And I gave him a terrible look, and he gave me a terrible look back. And the producers saw this. Mm -hmm. And they went, wow, what's happening? <laughs> Who are those people over there in the background? If we were in the background, we were just like kibitzing. And um, so they started watching the chemistry between Larry and I. And I think that's how it grew, frankly. Now, this is going to seem like an odd question. But yes. when you live with a character as long as you have Sue Ellen Ewing, in the original series, of course, for many years, and then the revival. Is it almost 
like that becomes a, a person apart from Linda Gray? Like Sue Ellen is a person in your view, like a friend or I, or, or a sister? I, I mean, I don't know how I describe <laughs> it. Is is there something to that thought? Well, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's kind of schizophrenic. I just kind of, I can flip in and out of, of her. I've lived with her so long and she's lived within me for so long that I can flip in and out. I can get the, the accent and, and I can get her in me almost immediately. And what, what was weird for me when we did the reboot, I thought, wow, I've got to go call Sue Ellen and find out what she's been doing for the last 20 years. Oh, and, um, it was, um, it was very interesting as an actor because it didn't take long at all to get right back there. But I knew that she, I kept pounding on people to say, look, she cannot come back as a victim. She can't drink. She's got to have grown as a human being, as a woman, and changed. And I really want her to run for politics. And they were like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? I said, she has to come out powerful. Uh, she's divorced from Jr. She has more money than he does, and it, she's got to be powerful. And um, they were very, they were very, very wonderful to me. They, they said, okay, um, let her, let's, let's let her run for governor. And then we found, you know, I mean, we didn't find out, but I mean, we, it was dawned on us that that the capital was in Austin, and we're shooting a show called Dallas. So they said, you have to lose. And I said, okay, but make it painless. Make it, make me lose as fast as you can. (laughs) (laughs) And so we all laughed about that because it was my idea to have her run for governor. I should have said, well, she should be senator or congressman or some congresswoman or something. But no, I had to go big. And I said, let her run for governor. And they went, oh, okay, well, all right, we'll think of that. So anyway, it was a funny thing because they said, we can't have you. Governor, we, we can't afford the helicopter trip back and forth. <laughs> anyway, it was some funny, some funny moments went on. Now, um, and there were so many things we could talk about, and the time is growing short. But I have to ask you this question because uh, in researching this, I found out that uh, your your mom had some alcohol issues. Now, Sue Ellen mm-hmm. Ewing, in the first incarnation of Dallas, had her own alcohol problems. Did you yeah. draw on that life experience to portray uh, Sue Ellen in that condition? No, you know, I didn't. A lot of people think that that, that was the case. Um, the, the reality is that I did not. Uh, I wanted to create a character that was absolutely separate. And my mother wasn't like that. My mother was more like, like Betty Ford. She was one of those people that did, she didn't throw things and do all the crazy things Sue Ellen did. But, um, you know, she was very dignified and classy, but she was also a little blurry around the edges, you know. And, you know, we the mother-daughter thing was not so great because you know, I, I felt I didn't have a mother. And so when I was given the gift of Sue Ellen Ewing, the first five shows, I knew where they were going because I'd read them all and I thought, oh boy, I see where they're going. But what I did is I gave, I put five scripts in front of my mother she was here at my home, and I put them in front of her, and I said, I'd like you to read these. And she mm. took them home, read them, called me, and she said, this is going to be tough for you. And um, I, she said, but you can do it. And it was the first time, it was like kind of a little chink in the armor here, that uh, anything, nobody talked about alcoholism uh, when I was growing up. Uh, it was a different society then. It was totally different. So... Everyone pushed everything under the rug. But then when I gave mom the scripts and she was so, so 
she was a cheerleader for me and she, she was just so proud. And she said, you're going to, this is a hard job for you, but you can do it. And that was the first time anyone had even touched on the word alcoholism in our family, which was kind of interesting when we look at it now, when everybody can get help, et cetera. So anyway, um, then there's a story in the book that I think that will kind of be shocking to a lot of people, how she actually stopped drinking. But it was a gift and it was a healing in our relationship. One thing that we could not not mention uh, with the interview with Linda Gray is you've talked about him several times. I know that from what I understand, you, you were both very close. Larry Hagman, what was that relationship like? What was he like? What was it like being a uh, part of his life for all those years? Oh, it was magic. It was absolutely magic. And he was, um, he was, my, he and his wife were my dearest friends and, and Patrick Duffy. And we came, be, became very, very close. When you do a series like that for that many years and that many episodes per season, um, you're with, you're with the people on the set, uh, on, on the TV show much more than you are with your own family. And sure. the hours spent are just, you know, the hours spent are huge. So we just became great buddies, and I was sort of the older, uh, wiser sister. I was, and he was the bad boy. He was five, <laughs> and I was twenty-five. Oh, that's <laughs> and, funny. And and you know, I'd say, Larry, stop, stop eating all that sugar, or stop drinking, and don't do that, and don't do this. And you know, it became just hysterical, and people would say. Is that how you guys are off camera? <laughs> you know, that was so funny. It was just this hysterical, crazy, um, crazy, the crazy love affair we had. Not a love affair, but a, a brother-sister thing. But I wasn't the baby sister because I was younger than he was, but I was the older sister telling him what to do. It was this pain. He was a pain. And just this curmudgeon adorable person that, you know, he was magic. He was like Pied Piper. And life after Dallas, before the revival, I mean, you've gone on to do a lot of things. United Nations ambassador, I didn't realize that. Tell us about that. that that's amazing. That was amazing. It was, um, I was able to, uh, I was asked to be a goodwill ambassador. And of course I said, yes, but what does that mean? What do I do? And how do I, how do I do this? Anyway, so I was, um, I went to developing countries and my job was to, sit with the women in these developing countries and talk to them about uh, their health issues and what they needed for, uh, for their, their families or children. And the, the bottom line is that I feel after, after you've been exposed to that and you've sat in their little huts and their concrete floors and, you know, having, they have nothing, you find out that the women want basically three things for their families, no matter where I went. They want a healthy childbirth, clean water, and an education. Um, mm -hmm. And that's what they want. And so for me, it was so, I think once you get out of yourself, once you say how, the three magic words are for how can I serve, that it changes your life. And it, it absolutely changed my life. Um, so, you know, my, I, the gift, I was given the gift of Sue Ellen Ewing that made me internationally known. And then this was such a perfect, beautiful gift that I received being able to see these women face to face. 
It was extraordinary. And the story's not over, and you continue to act and be very involved. What are you excited about these days? What are you looking forward to? I'm excited about life. I'm excited about every day. I swear to you. I know it sounds corny, but it doesn't. I don't care. <laughs> it's this magical time where, um, you know, I, I feel at my age now that I turned that, that wonderful number. <laughs> um, it's it's like okay, now what are we going to do? Um, and I don't have a five year plan. I don't have a ten year plan. I have a day to day, moment to moment plan, which is excitement, focus. Uh, joy. I mean, now I feel like I've turned back to five years old. I'm back. Uh, the circle has gone full circle. And, and I'm just, um, I'm alive. I'm well. I'm happy. I wrote a book. I feel there's closure on so many, uh, so many elements in my life. Um, and now I'm open to say, okay, what's next? Bring it on. I can do it. Well, we're confident with your track record that you certainly can. The new book is The Road <laughs> to Happiness is always under construction. The author is Linda Gray. I'm assuming, Linda, you can find it at Amazon and find bookstores everywhere? Yes, you can. Linda Gray, it has been an honor and a privilege to speak with you today. Thank oh, you for your time and continued happiness and success. Oh, bless you. Thank you so much. What a lovely, lovely interview. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And thank you for tuning in to TV you grew up with. We'll talk to you next time. Have a great week, everybody. Bye-bye.